Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is founder, consultant, life coach, and business wizard of one of the most successful gyms in the history of the fitness industry, being recognized on the Inc. 500's fastest growing companies in America, reaching upwards of 4 million in yearly revenue and over a thousand active members, including Tony Award winners, each month between its two New York locations. He founded a business built on values of magic, inspiration, and radically inclusive community of ninjas, who ditched the gym for the enchanted ninja clubhouse of glory and dreams. Pretty extraordinary for someone who started with a degree in dance and theater, was once a massage therapist, worked concierge for the four seasons, and then working with nonprofits. But just as personal growth is one of the core values of his ultra-successful fitness startup, Mark Fisher Fitness, he helps countless business owners increase revenue month over month, is a master at building community, and helps uh, business owners become awesome leaders, including clients like Sony, Sylvan Learning, and hundreds of fitness studios across the U.S. and U.K. He's been featured in countless of the largest publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, The Huffington Post, Inc., Forbes, CBS, and so many more. Going back to his theater roots, he even presented his disruptive values, um, based business model on TEDx Broadway while sporting a cape and breaking out in spontaneous dance with the audience. With a relentless passion to help others and create global impact, he partnered uh, with community projects such as Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and founded a nonprofit organization called The Upspring to empower everyday people and superheroes exploring complex social problems. I'm honored to welcome a man who has come a long way from improvising a performance of Pippin in community theater co-founder of Mark Fisher Fitness and Business for Unicorns, Michael Keeler. Hi, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. I need to take you with me everywhere because that was like the best introduction ever. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's dive into it a little bit. And before we get talking about business, tell me a little bit about your backstory and, you know, being in theater and dance and how those things kind of helped you in business. Yeah, yeah, great question. <clears throat> I, it's so funny, Mark and I, uh, my business partner, Mark Fisher, we talk all the time about how our background in the arts helps us do what we do every day, which is kind of surprising. I never would have thought <laughs> that I would translate my experience in community theater or dance into running a business, but it makes so much sense when you think about it. In fact, our talk we did, you mentioned our talk for TEDx Broadway, we did about this connection. So if you want to learn more, go watch that. But in a nutshell, what, what the performing arts are often all about are, are collaboration. Mm. A bunch of people who, who want to tell a story or want to, um, want to say something, uh, put them in a room and help them have, and they also figure out how to do it. You build the set, you figure out the lighting, you make the costumes, you play this role, you play that role, you stand here and you stand here. Let's learn this choreography together. There's so many moving pieces to putting on a show <laughs> and there's so much, there's so much that's true about that in business. That finding people who are the right seats and the right roles at the right time <laughs> is so important. That sense of collaboration and creativity is so important. Having clear roles and responsibilities and timelines and deadlines. It's like, if you don't have those things, you can't put on a show. <laughs> you know, you have an opening day that's coming whether you like it or not. And you'll have to know your lines and know your choreography and 
all those pieces have to come together. And so I think growing up doing theater and myself uh, more dance than theater just taught me so much about how to um, create the right energy in a room to mm -hmm. foster creativity, to make it a kind of safe space where people are free to share their ideas and opinions, um, but also to, to lead and, and make sure that you're actually putting one foot in front of the other and making key decisions, uh, which often means saying no to things. And that's a big part of any creative or business process is editing. And I think you learn to do that in the arts really well uh, because there's so many ideas. You can go in so many directions. And I feel like I see that a lot in business as well. Anyway, I can ramble on this topic forever, so stop me. But <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's awesome because um, it's sort of like a boot camp for yourself before you got into business, learning how to delegate and how to create plans of action um, and doing it in a fun way so that when you got to business, it wasn't so dry. Yeah, 100%. And I just, you know, I'll challenge anyone who's, who thinks like this is a, a strange analogy to make. Just go try and put on a show in your backyard. Like, mm. Just commit to putting on some sort of cabaret or show in your backyard that lasts an hour. Invite all your friends and family to perform, you know, sell tickets, market it. And tell me if that doesn't feel like running a business, right? You yeah. have to do all the same things. <laughs> yeah, you're wearing tons of hats, everything. Tons of hats, a million moving pieces, so many opinions, uh, so many things that can go wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was a great, great training ground for what we wound up doing with our career so far. Yeah. And then you ended up working in hospitality and nonprofit businesses um, and then wanted to jump into the startup. So tell me about that shift um, from those into jumping into a startup with your friend. Yeah. So working in hospitality was really just kind of a happy accident. Mm -hmm. I, I wound up wanting to, you know, as while I was a, a dancer and a choreographer, I had my own dance company for a few years and it's hard to pay the bills with that. And so I started working for the Four Seasons Hotels back then as a way of kind of just paying the bills. But I kind of loved it. I love so much about hospitality. I think um, deep down, I think the thing that resonates with me the most is I just like being a host. Mm. You know, I like being someone who creates a space that's welcoming for people where I can kind of meet them where they're at and kind of exceed their expectations, create memories with them. And so my time in hospitality was really kind of a masterclass in customer service um, and, and really just being a great host. Um, yeah. And now that, you know, now that I'm in kind of brick and mortar service business, there's no better training I could have had <laughs> than to work in luxury hospitality and learn how to meet the expectations of some of the world's most discerning travelers. Mm. Um, I feel like if you can please those folks, <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah, we always succeed succeeded, but um, we certainly did our best. So, so yeah, I kind of stumbled into hospitality and I wound up staying with the Four Seasons for almost six years just because it was a company that um, I think just aligned with my values. They really try to treat their people well. They really try to do put kind of people before profit. <clears throat> They had a really strong kind of internal development program where people could grow and learn within the organization, which has always been important to me. Um, so in addition to all the customer service stuff, I really just learned how to run a team, how to manage people, and how to create a really positive kind of employee experience at the Four Seasons in addition to a consumer experience. So, you know, it was a great lesson over those, over those six years. <clears throat> and through that time, I kind of continue to keep one foot in the arts. So kind of while I was working in hospitality on the side, I was kind of consulting with nonprofits and the work I did there, excuse me, <clears throat> was mainly consulting on strategic planning. So I helped small, mid-size 
mostly performing arts nonprofits, um, help with their planning, help with uh, creating boards, help with their fundraising, help with their program development. Um, and the key lessons I take away from that part of my life, um, and anyone who's ever worked in a nonprofit can tell you how true this is, is nonprofits just have to get really good at doing a lot with less. Mm. You know, they don't have a ton of excess resources. Right constantly fighting for that next dollar of fundraising. And so it helped me keep kind of a scrappy mentality. <laughs> you which, know? Was, which is good when you got into the startup and started growing yeah. up. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was like, okay, well, how do I just make it work with what we got? And a lot of nonprofits are really working like that. And because of that, nonprofits are often very forward thinking and they often do a lot of strategic planning to plan for the years ahead. And so that time I spent really doing strategic planning for those small arts organizations again, really informed my, my ability to run a small business. Yeah. And so then when you guys started growing, I mean, you guys grew really, really fast um, in your startup. You guys not only had to evolve in your business, but you guys had to evolve as leaders. So what were some of the biggest discoveries that you had during that growth phase? Oh my gosh, so many. <clears throat> well, I'll start, let me think of, let me think for a second before I just start rambling. <laughs> um, uh, I think for starters, the, the, the biggest lesson I learned early on is that when you as a leader want to grow a business, and you're right, we grew pretty quickly. I mean, not as fast as you know some of the kind of, quote, unicorns in Silicon Valley, but those are the anomalies. Most small businesses that are lucky enough to kind of, quote, grow quickly grew like we grew. We did like a million dollars in revenue our first year, then two million the second year, three million the third year. So it's pretty fast, and our staff was growing accordingly. And the biggest lesson I learned back then about how to scale was the idea that you as a leader need to constantly be working on improving yourself and replacing yourself that, you know, we needed to keep growing in all the ways you just mentioned on how to be a better manager, how to be a better leader, right. how to understand our finances better, how to learn more about this ever changing, uh, you know, landscape of marketing, um, how to fill in the blanks. I could keep going. So we need to keep learning. And luckily my business partner, Mark and I are pretty um, ferocious um, learners. <laughs> We've always been sponges and yeah. love learning and learning and learning and reading books and taking classes and going to conferences. So in some ways it was always natural for us to, to keep learning, but I learned how important that was. And then the second piece is just as you keep learning to continue replacing yourself so the business mm -hmm. can grow because often the limits of a business are the limits of their leaders. And right. so in the first year or two, I was, you know, working at the front desk and I was also the cleaning crew and I was also doing payroll and mm -hmm. finance and, I wore all of the hats, except for yeah. training, except for the fitness stuff, which Mark did. Um, and over time, I was like, okay, well, every, every, every few months, I was like, what can I get off my plate today? Well, the first thing I want to stop doing is mopping the damn floors. Mm. So can we afford to pay someone to do that now? <laughs> then can we afford to pay someone to do the bookkeeping? Can we pay someone to afford to sit at this desk instead of me? Uh, and you know, over the first few years, I just got all of that low-hanging fruit off my plate, um, which is hard to do. It's hard to do because often, you, you know this as well from your own experience, um, as a leader, you often think that you know, you're, you're going to do it better than anyone else you're going to delegate it to, <laughs> that delegating, teaching someone else how to do it is going to take twice as long as just doing it your damn self. And so, so often you just stay doing the same tasks because you're afraid to delegate. And so I think continuing to replace yourself and delegate those tasks is just crucial if you want your business to grow. I think it's so important too, because there's um, certain things that you have like superpowers for you're Superman at those, you're, you know, your creative genius zone, basically. And if you are stuck mopping the floors or, you know, doing the, the payroll or whatever, you don't leave yourself time to do those creative things that are actually going to exponentially move the business forward. 
Yeah, 100%. And now, you know, we're approaching our eighth year of Mark Fisher Fitness because we started basically in 2011. Excuse me again. <coughs> um, in our eighth year. And now I'm super proud to say that they don't need me at all. Really? <laughs> that there's, you know, there could go be weeks that go by that they don't really, I'm still there because I come to key meetings and things. But right. if I couldn't for some of a reason, um, or if I disappeared tomorrow, I'm really confident that the business would be fine. Mm. It doesn't need me anymore, which is the place I wanted to go. Where, so I'm now working on other things besides just Mark Fisher Fitness. Um, but I'm, it took me this long to get here. I was probably around year six that I was able to really be away for extended periods of time and not worry about it at all. Um, but it took a while. Yeah. And so one of the, the major successes of Mark Fisher Fitness was the values that you guys built it on, you know, creating community, culture, and a brand that inspires people to become their best selves. Um, talk to me a little bit about building a business on a brand foundation like that. Yeah. So I think this is an idea, frankly, I stole from the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. So nonprofits often kind of lead with values and they very much start with that trifecta of mission, vision, values. In fact, for nonprofits, their mission is kind of written on their founding documents and submitted to the IRS. It's it's how how the IRS makes sure nonprofits are spending their activities on things that are mission critical. Mm -hmm. And so nonprofits always have to have to do that. And I kind of brought that in like day one, literally the first meeting Mark and I had in 2011 about Mark Fisher Fitness. I brought like an outline of a strategic plan. that was mostly a template from the nonprofit world (laughs) that had like mission, vision, values, things in it. And so it was really kind of just a byproduct of my state, my time in that world, knowing that if you and your business partners and the key stakeholders of the, of the business, including employees and ultimately clients are aligned on kind of a values level, you can work out the rest. Mm. You know, if you share a somewhat similar worldview about what's important to you and what's not important to you, <clears throat> then when problems arise, you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> There's this inherent level of, uh, of kind of trust that comes along with that. That's just so, that's just so critical that, you know, that we're part of the same tribe to some extent. Uh, I think that they give a good, you know, sort of GPS for where your business going. If you have a problem come up, you can make a better decision if you have those things already outlined. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and to be fair, we we talk. I talk about values a lot in some of the coaching and courses we do at Business for Unicorns. And one of the things I think is most important is a lot of people maybe listening right now are like, yeah, 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 values, I get it. Um, and and most people have that attitude about values because they create them. They spend all this time thinking about what are my values, then they like put them on a wall on a poster maybe, or maybe they're listed in like their intranet, or right. maybe they take them to their client facing website, but they're not actually folded in and integrated into the work every day. And I think right. that's the missing piece for most people. You don't just need to have values. They need to be actually present every day for you and your team, if that's who they're for. Um, and most importantly, you and your team need to know what behaviors do you do on a regular basis that actually illustrate those values. Mm-hmm. So for example, one of our values at MFF is inclusiveness. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And so there, I can name a million ways that we demonstrate inclusiveness in our actions every day. But a very simple, basic one is that everyone receives a really generous, sometimes surprising and warm welcome when they walk in the door, right? right. It's an action our team does every day that represents that value of everyone is welcome. Yeah, I think this is so important um, because there's a lot of times, like you said, that people make these values, but then they don't actually live them in, you know, their employees, in their leaders, and then in their customers, sharing that with every single person that's inside of that business. 
Yeah, 100%. So we have lots of tactics that could get into it for how we remind our team of our values on a regular basis, including talking about them at team meetings and playing games about them and role playing. Mm -hmm. And also we include them in some of our <clears throat> in some of our internal systems for how we track customer expectations. So there's lots of ways to keep them fresh and top of mind. But ultimately, you and your team at any given moment have to be able to articulate what do we do every day that actually helps us live out these values in a way that makes them meaningful. Right. Um, tell me a little bit about how leading with these values um, really helped your business grow in terms of money and marketing, like having the you know, community as marketing. Yeah, good question. So I would say one of the things that people <clears throat> often find surprising is we really didn't spend almost any money on marketing. Uh, and what I mean by that is like paid advertising. Right. NMFF for the first almost five years. So just zero Facebook ads or any of those things. And in part, our marketing was the community. In part, it was mostly word of mouth. It was mostly people who kind of aligned with our values and what we were doing. Um, and that in many ways kind of made up for our marketing, <laughs> you know? And at the time, I don't know that we knew that's what we were doing, to be fair. And we didn't mastermind this, like, let's never spend any money on marketing. Let's just, you know, build right. a tribe. But that's, I think, what was happening. And I think the reason that happens, and I'm not sure if I'm putting money on this, but I feel like the, the reason that that worked for us was because everyone's participation in Mark Fisher Fitness was really authentic. No one was sold into the idea of coming. We didn't even really do any sales. <laughs> we didn't have a sales process or like a sales consultation until oh, wow. probably like year four or five. <laughs> you know, it was just everyone was authentically show up, showing up in this space and just meeting each other <laughs> and being kind and, you know, and living out some of the values we talk about, like having fun and being kind <laughs> and candor and humility. Like those are some of our values we've kind of been living since day one. And because it was kind of inherent for everyone on the team, um, all of our clients also kind of took on that way of being in our space and it just became a comfortable space where people wanted to be. Mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, how many people can say that they really look forward to going to the gym? Right. How many people can say like the gym is, you know, the place where they see some of the most happy, friendly people in their week. Mm -hmm. right? How many people can say like their gym is really kind of a third space for them where they wish they could spend more time. Not many. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the fact that, you know, our team from the very beginning, we made a big deal about our values, made a big deal about having them be reflected in our space, I think really acted as our marketing because people were showing up authentically, having a real positive experience, meeting other humans who also gave a crap about these values that were hanging on our wall for all to see. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, again, we didn't plan it that way, but reverse engineering it, I think that's a little bit of what was happening. Yeah. And how do you, uh, did you guys foster this community growth that, you know, obviously was fueling this marketing engine for you guys? Yeah, there's a, there's a million and thing, one, million and one things I think we did. I think the overarching strategy I'd suggest to most people on the call who do something similar, you know, if you have a, a in-person face-to-face brick and mortar kind of business, one of the things that I find really successful is designing experiences for you to interact with your clients. That's not about a transaction. Mm right? Which means maybe just getting together for a book club once a month, maybe having a barbecue or a hangout in the park or, you know, uh, you know, do a mud run together or do a fundraising event together. Something that's not about the transactional nature of your relationship <clears throat> where you're upselling them to something new <laughs> right. or you're just delivering on a service they already paid for, but creating experiences outside of that, that let them know that you give a shit about them, not just as a transaction and a client, but as a person. 
Yeah. You know, so one of the things we did early on, uh, we do this program called Snatch in Six Weeks, which is kind of a six-week kind of boot camp program. <clears throat> At the end of every program, every six weeks, we throw this huge party. And the party was in, we had a local bar or um, some club nearby. Everyone could bring their friends. <clears throat> there was an award ceremony, a photo booth. Oh, wow. We often do open, open bar drinks for an hour. Um, and that investment of time and energy and money into those parties for the first several years brought us most of our clients. <clears throat> you know, you imagine a program where you have maybe 20, 30, 50 people doing a six-week boot camp, boot camp and they're all coming to a party afterwards to celebrate the work they did over those six weeks, and they each bring a friend. You know that being in that room with all those people, seeing all these real-life testimonials of people who had a good time, had some results, are getting these awards, their before and after pictures or progress pictures are posted up on the wall, um, and the person who wins the progress picture contest gets all their money back and people are shouting and excited and, uh, and dancing, of course they want to join. Like, yeah. Of course they want to come. It kind of sold itself. Yeah. And that's because it was a genuine reflection of people having a good time working on themselves, which, you know, is typically a stressful experience <laughs> yeah. to, to, to lose fat and to get, you know, shirtless photos taken of yourself to display in front of hundreds of people in a room is usually stressful. But in this moment, it was a safe space and people really dug it. Yeah. And how many gyms, you know, are putting that much celebration and how much work that, you know, you're putting in at the gym? Um, you're talking about doing things other than that transactional thing that's way above and beyond like you showing that you actually care about these people. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, another area that I think is a real low hanging fruit for most businesses is getting involved in a charity, some mm -hmm. charity effort where once, twice, three, four times a year, even you're doing something for something greater than the business, right? You're just reaching a higher purpose. Ideally, it's an, it's a cause that matters to your avatar, you know, that the people coming to your business actually give a crap about this cause or this issue. Um, and ideally, you actually genuinely care about it, too. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you're raising money by opening up your space to people or, you know, participating in some fundraising activity. I mean, it's a perfect example of, of how giving back um, can be a growth strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit um, about business for unicorns. You were talking about how some of the things that you teach in there is values and how do you see this um, influencing the business landscape and what would it look like if more businesses took this value-based approach? Yeah, great question. I don't know that all of our courses are focused exclusively on that, but we do talk about it, at least in a handful of them. But I see the real mission of Business for Unicorns is to be a, a classroom for entrepreneurs and business leaders that's actually a fun one. Mm -hmm. Classroom for business leaders that they want to come back to, yeah. that the courses themselves are not just a one or two day brain dump because, you know, you've been to these, I've been to these. You go to a workshop or conference <clears throat> and it's a day or two and you leave with like 20 pages of notes. But then the next, the next week you're like, what the, f what do I do now? Sorry, I right. curse. What do I do? What do I do next? You know, and it's the implementation after those workshops that's really hard. So, and that's the part I think is most frustrating for folks and why they don't go back and they think continuing, uh, continuing education and personal development is such a chore is because our workshops and classes are structured in a way that are really a pain in the butt. They don't actually help people develop. So we're trying to create a classroom. It's not only fun when you're in the workshop with us, but then we, all of our classes, all of our courses include coaching afterwards. Mm. So you get to work directly with me and Mark to help implement the things you learn in our courses. 
So say you're doing a course, we have one coming up called the, the Care and Feeding of Superheroes. And it's all about hiring and developing a world-class team. And so in that course, you're going to learn all kinds of tips and tricks for how to hire and develop and onboard your team members. But then afterwards, you're going to work with us for, I think it's four or six weeks, and we're going to help right-size all those next steps for you so you can actually apply what you've learned. And that's the thing I think is just missing from so many adult learning um, programs is just that that extra step of someone helping you figure out what is the next right step for me and my business that actually is a smart goal, right? That it's like a specific yeah. measurable, all those, all the, the whole acronym. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's the hard part. People leave with 20 pages of notes. They don't know where to start. You know, yeah. so it's like, well, F it. And it just becomes a, a, you know, notes that collect dust in your drawer and you go back <laughs> to it one day. Like, oh, I had so many ideas, but who has the time? Uh, right. And so I think that 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 one-on-one -on -one coaching after our course is the thing that helps us stand out. Plus, I'd like to think that our course experience is actually really engaging and fun. You're not just going to sit there for two days and have us like talk at you lecture style. <laughs> it's engaging and it's hands-on. Um, and hopefully, you know, you not only have aha moments, but you actually have um, real plan when you leave the workshop and you have support in achieving that plan. Yeah. I think that second part of the coaching is so, so much needed because, uh, knowledge is only potential power. Like, like you said, you get all this stuff and then you don't know what to do with it. And having, you know, the person that taught you actually be like, okay, well now let's walk through the stuff that you just learned and let's implement it because that's the only way that your business changes. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that, you know, the, the reality is that I would say everything that we offer in our courses, I'd say almost everything we offer in all of our courses for business for unicorns is stuff you can find on the internet, mm -hmm. right? I don't have a ton of information that people don't have access to. Right. But we do think we're really great at is curating the best information, the best ideas, the best strategies. We present those that curated information and content in the course and then help you figure out how to apply those best practices and ideas into your actual business right away. Uh, and I think that's the part I wish I had when I started this business eight years ago, <laughs> is, you know, it's, it's a combination of coaching, consulting, mentorship. It's all of that kind of rolled into one. And our approach is never that we know your business better than you. Our approach is like, we know these ideas really well because we've also tried them on ourselves <laughs> and we want to help you figure out what the right way of applying them is to your business. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, we're a little bit more of a coach than consultant. Um, but I think it's been such rewarding work for us. We've really been focused on business for unicorns for the last two years ish. Yeah. Um, and it's been growing like, like hotcakes and uh, we just, we just love, I love this work so much. That's awesome. And it's, you know, the, the values that you had in Mark Fisher fitness, like they start to roll over into business for unicorns. And two of those, um, are happiness and fun. Sure. And, um, recently you had a sort of like a midlife crisis kind of questioning where you are in life. So first yeah. off, my first question is what is a midlife crisis dinner party? And then <laughs> my second question is, how do you continue to cultivate that happiness and fun in your own life while running two businesses, you know, having a husband, living in New York? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so what Brandon's referring to for listeners who are like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> um, I do have a blog post. If you go to businessforunicorns.com and click on the blog, I have a blog post. I, I think the title was my midlife crisis or something. Uh, it was pretty, pretty on the nose. <laughs> um, but really I was having one of those moments that I hear a lot from my coaching clients, but I was having it myself of just like, okay, I've created this business and now I have a second business. I'm working on growing a family. Um, I'm like, what is this all about? <laughs> where, where am I in all of this? I kind of lost track of my purpose and my momentum. Uh, and I'm still, I'm not actually through it yet. I'm still in this moment of, of kind of questioning it all. And I find that we all do this. 
we go through these seasons of our life. For me, it's about every almost two years <laughs> where I feel like I have this moment of questioning, like, what am I doing? Is this all, is this how I want to be spending my time? Is this what I want my business to be look like? Do I want to have a business anymore? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, because, uh, you know, I hear that often from the clients I work with, I said, you know, I should just write about it. I should just yeah. be honest about the fact that people see me as someone who's very successful and, you know, has it all figured out. <laughs> and that's not true. You know, yeah. we all have those moments where we're not sure. And so I wrote this blog post about it. And, and in the blog post, I coached myself through this challenge the way I might coach someone else. And so you can read the blog and hear me kind of coaching myself and asking myself questions about what does this mean, Michael? And what do you want to do next? And one of the brainstorms that came out of me writing that blog was the idea that I should host um, a dinner party and call it like a midlife crisis dinner party, which I'm still working on. I have some dates <laughs> selected, actually. Nice. Um, and the idea of this dinner party was simply that, like, I'm not alone here. I know there's plenty of other people out there who, who responded to my blog post saying, oh my gosh, thank you for writing this. Me too. Um, and I was like, well, why don't I just get us all together in a room, at least the people who are here in New York and can come. Um, and let's have it be a dinner party. Let's have some, some nice adult food. And also, let's just talk. Mm-hmm. You know. And so I'm working on it now. And my goal is it should be like, half kind of potluck dinner, half like um, I have a, a friend of mine who's going to be a kind of a mediator and have like lightly structured conversation. Mm. So, you know, cause often at dinner parties and things, the conversation only goes like so deep. Right. Uh, and if we're really going to talk about the fact that we're all questioning our lives, <laughs> you need someone to help like push it along a little bit, kind of lubricate the conversation right. <laughs> to get it place. And so I'm going to have like, you know, some conversation prompts, you know, it's not going to be an event for everyone. Not everyone wants to come to a room full of people who think they're going through a midlife crisis <laughs> and talk about your feelings, right? I get this is not for everyone, but right. it's totally up my alley. <laughs> and I would much rather go through this questioning process of my life with other people who are also doing it um, because it has such a validating effect of I am not alone. I am not crazy. This isn't a ridiculous question to ask myself um, that, you know, uh, even for someone who uh, seemingly has it all figured out, it's okay to not know. Um, And so that's what I'm working on is an event will probably happen in August here in New York. It'll just be, you know, 20, 30 friends who are in New York who also think, um, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think this is uh, so important because it doesn't matter what stage you're at. You know, you said that, you know, even somebody that looks successful on paper or whatever, they, they still go through this. So it doesn't matter if you're starting out or, you know, you've been doing this for 30 years, like you're still going to question it. And I think that's um, part of growth, like as a person, because you had to change in order to be successful in your business. And now you've gone through that growth and it's kind of like, well, what's the next step? What's, how do I grow from here? Yeah, 100%. And you know, our three values, I think those are on our website for Business of Unicorns. Our three values of Business of Unicorns are growth mindset, radical responsibility, and imperfect action. Mm. And I felt really, I kind of took myself through that process as I was writing that blog. I was like, okay, Michael, well, I know that um, I'm not stuck here. I could keep growing and learning and figure out how to get to this next chapter of my life. So I'm not, I'm not a set mindset. Um, I have to take responsibility for like, I'm the one who put myself here. Right. <laughs> I'm in control of all the results I have and all the results I don't have. So how do I grab the reins here and push myself forward? And then the imperfect action piece is, I'm not sure what the, the perfect next step is. Just do something, mm-hmm. you know, and just move forward anyway. Um, and, and, you know, that's part of what I've been doing by writing that blog and planning this event, among other things I've been working on. Like, they're not perfect actions. None, no one of them are going to solve my, solve my midlife crisis. Right. <laughs> this is. Um, but I'm doing it anyway. So I think those three things continue to really show up for me in positive ways. The growth mindset, radical responsibility, and perfect action. 
Yeah. And I think uh, you also have a huge value on transformation. So like in your guys's fitness business, um, you know, employees have a continuing education budget. Um, you know, you guys hold workshops and 10 hours a week on personal development, which I thought were all very unique. You know, you don't see that in other businesses. Um, and you say that change like only comes after a period of this personal discomfort. Um, and so how have you been able to lean into that com- discomfort in the different stages of your life? Yeah. Um, I feel like I keep saying great questions, but they are good questions. Good job, Brandon. I know because I'm, you know, I do this podcasting stuff too. I know how hard it is. Come with good ones. Those are good ones. Um, so um, how do I find myself leaning to discomfort? I would say anything, uh, I say to most people that I talk to about this, that um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable is just a practice. Mm-hmm. Like anything, the first time you try to deadlift something or you run run a 5K or anything, you're going to be uncomfortable and it's hard. Um, and uh, and you want to give up immediately sometimes. Uh, and the only way you get better at pushing through discomfort is continually pushing through discomfort. So, you know, a quick example of, you know, when I first started working for the Four Seasons, one of my jobs was to be the go-to manager to talk to all the angry customers. <laughs> and so, so whenever someone was disappointed with anything we did, and at one point I worked at a resort in Hawaii, and so there's any number of things that, you know, the rich people could have been upset about that right. day. You know, the catamaran yeah. didn't you know, catch any fish on the catamaran or, you know, the champagne wasn't cold. Um, I'm joking, but there were some serious ones too. But um, that my job for many years was to be the people who goes and talks to them when they're upset. Mm-hmm. And when I first started having to do this, it was uncomfortable. Right. Uh, not to mention, I was, you know, much, I was younger and a lot of people are talking to her much older. So they looked at me like I was some, some kid, <laughs> you know, um, and I like, what, how are you going to solve my problems? Um, and I would, you know, have to gear myself up, self up for these conversations. I'd be in the back office, like, okay, I gotta go talk to the person. And I would have to take deep breaths and calm myself down. Um, and I would go out there and sometimes when I first started doing, it, I'd be like a little bit shaking, put my hands in my pockets to try and hide it. <laughs> but I'd be so nervous to have right. these conversations with people who were so angry, sometimes crying or yelling. Um, and I only got better at that by doing it for hundreds of hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only got better at that by literally working that muscle and working that muscle. Um, and now I got into the place now, you know, in these years at Mark Fisher Fitness, most of my team thinks of me as this kind of like unshakable rock that anyone can be any emotion around me and I'm going to be fine. Um, right. And that's, that wasn't natural. I didn't, I wasn't born this way. <laughs> born lots of other ways. Wasn't that, that wasn't part of my DNA. Um, that just came with practice. So I use that as an example of something I was crazy uncomfortable doing for a while. And then with just literally hundreds of hours of practice, you get better. It gets less uncomfortable. You know, can I control, you know, the chemicals firing off in my body if someone's screaming at me? No, there's always going to be some, my heart rate might go up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, might get some sweaty palms. Like the body's going to do what it does. But at the very least, I've, I've learned to recognize those physical s- symptoms of anxiety yeah. um, and not make them, uh, not run away with them, <laughs> you know, yeah, you to, took- them to a point where I can still be effective in a conversation. Right. Took control of those and not let your body be in control, let you be in control. Um, yeah for sure it reminds me of uh anybody that says you know to get good at sales like basically be a door-to-door salesman and get the door slammed on you a hundred times because by the end of that like you're going to be resilient to that it's not going to affect you as much yeah a hundred percent i think you know if i was to say one more kind of tip for your listeners it's just you know 
go, uh, you know, create a challenge for yourself that every month you're going to do something that's really uncomfortable. Just mm-hmm. one thing a month. It can be something simple like walking into a store you've never shopped in before that you don't think maybe you belong there. You're not the real, the ideal customer, you know, or whatever it can be. Just find something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. That's the only way you work the muscle. You know, the only way you get better at it is just learning how your body reacts to that level of anxiety or stress um, and working through it and pushing through it anyway. Yeah. Um, so you talked about like you weren't made this way. And I want to dive back a little bit to your childhood. Um, I seen that you were raised by a single mother and I was also raised by a single mom and seeing the resiliency of, you know, a woman basically raising a young man and doing it all herself. It was an amazing takeaway for me that I brought into entrepreneurship. And so I'm wondering what you learned as you were growing up seeing that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Another great question. Yeah. My mom, my mom was everything. She, I think I learned so much from her. Um, I'm trying to think if I had to narrow it down some of the, some of the main lessons I learned from her. Well, certainly, you know, um, my mom had a relationship with money that stuck with me that for better or for worse. And I don't know that I'm recommending this as a strategy for people, <laughs> but as a disclaimer, but, um, but one of the things I took away from my mom, and this is just a kind of a key to her kind of resilient kind of mindset was her relationship to money i would summarize as like cool when you have money go buy stuff if you want it if you don't have money get to work and make some more money Mm. um that was it (laughs) and so i always see her like at times where you know we didn't have a lot when we had money she'd be like oh cool let's go out to dinner let's buy things and we didn't have money she'd be like nope there's no money i'm gonna go to work we're not buying anything it was that simple you know there's no drama about it that there's something really kind of um practical about that approach to money and you know it's obviously oversimplified as a financial strategy (laughs) right but the the mindset around it of that money just wasn't a trigger for her Mm. Even when she didn't have it, it was like, oh, I don't, don't have any money. So we have to be frugal, got to tighten the belt, got to cook in. Maybe we're having hot dogs and mac and cheese again for dinner tonight. It is what it is. Um, right. I'm just going to go to work, put in some more hours, and maybe you should go mow some lawns, Michael, and make some extra dollars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so, um, so I think that approach to money was also just kind of um, uh, – it stuck with me just because it, she wasn't going to be rattled by things that, um, that she could control. Mm. Well, luckily she was, you know, uh, for most of her life, healthy enough to, to continue working and do good work, but she never made much more than I, I think maybe over a little over minimum wage her whole life. And so, you know, it wasn't like earning money was easy. She really had to put in the hours. So I think yeah. that kind of resilience around money was a positive influence. The other thing that um, I really admire my mother for of, of a million things was um, she wasn't afraid to switch careers. My mom did a million and one jobs growing up. I can't even remember. She was a lifeguard, a swim instructor. She worked at a flower shop. She was a, worked at a gym as a manager. She was a physical therapy assistant. She, she did a million jobs. Um, and um, that kind of curiosity and ability to be adaptable mm-hmm. in different situations. And everyone she worked in, from my perspective as a kid, she thrived. <laughs> you know, she was, she did great and everyone always loved her and everyone loved her having, being around. Um, and so, um, I think that's part of what has allowed me to have a career path that has been so meandering. Yeah. Just watching someone like my mom just take on all these different jobs and roles and, and seem to thrive, um, I think is a little bit of what gave me permission to have my resume look the way it does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, a powerful trait to have as an entrepreneur. I mean, you're going to have to adapt to whatever situation is thrown at you. Um, as you build your business, you can plan as much as you want, but things are going to happen that you didn't foresee coming and you need to have that adaptability. Yeah, for sure. How does um, basically taking intention to creating a business and life that you want, how do you do that every single day? 
um, because, you know, you are building these two businesses and you're also, you know, you know, have a husband and have this life outside of work. How do you take the intention to build the things that you want in each of those? Yeah, uh, I would say from like a big picture perspective, it comes just down to time management. Mm. And under the bucket of personal productivity and time management, I really think it comes down to being good at prioritizing. And so for me, and I think Fisher, we have this, we have this course in Business Reunion Accords called Time Ninja, uh, which is a basically a personal productivity course. And certainly I've lived my life pretty close to what we teach in that course, which is always being pretty clear about what is the future you want to live into. What is the future you're designing for yourself? And we do a lot of visioning exercises for one year out, three years out, five years out, 20 years out um, as a way of not setting in stone the path we're walking on, uh, but a way of getting clear about what do I want to design for myself? And then working backwards from that about what goals and things do I want to accomplish in the next year, the next six months, the next month, the next week. Um, right. And certainly at Mark Fisher Fitness, we use the EOS system, the kind of traction methodology. And so it's another way of doing that same thing, of having a vision and working backwards to how you spend your time. And I, I think that's important, but what a lot of business owners miss is that they forget to include their personal lives in that process. Yeah. So it's not just what you want your business to look like, your revenue, clients, yada, 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 in 10 years, five years, one year. Um, it's what you want your life to look like. How do you want right. to be spending your time? Because ultimately, as you work backwards, the final, the final step of that kind of process is how do I spend my time in the next week? You know, what are the things I want to accomplish? How do I prioritize those things? And I prioritize those things by prioritizing the time I spend on them. Yeah. So ultimately, it's a question of, you know, what's important to me and am I spending time on the things that are most important to me? And as I've gotten older, I think this is true for most people, my priorities shift and change. You know, what was important to me eight years ago when we started Mark Fisher Fitness is different than now. Eight years ago, I was totally fine with working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, Mark and I lived above the business for mm. several years, <laughs> with the office <laughs> being our living room. And so I was really comfortable having no work-life separation <laughs> for many years. And yeah. my values and my interests and the life I want to live has totally changed. Or now I do want to have days off and vacations where I'm completely unplugged. And I do want to build a family, et cetera. I keep going on. But so I think what it comes down to for me is being clear on where I'm heading, being clear on how to break that down into more short-term tangible goals and outcomes, and then trying on a regular basis to put my time where my priorities are. Yeah, I think uh, it's so important getting on, um, clear on what those priorities are for you so that you know when you are trying to make that balance that you're not trying to do actually balance thing, it's 50-50 or listening to somebody else like you should be working this much or you should be taking this much time off. It's like, okay, no, really what's important to me and I'm going to put my time into those things and make decisions yeah. based on those. Yeah, hundred percent. I hear a lot of people who do this really well for their business, but again, just leave out the personal stuff. So when you're doing your vision for the business, also do it your personal life. How much money do you want in your personal checking account and savings account? How many vacations do you want to take per year? Where do you want to go? What kind of house or cars do you want to own or, you know, places you want to visit? You know, what kind of, what do you want your friend's life to look like? How many close friends do you have and how often do you see them or spend time on them? What hobbies do you have? How, what's your self-care look like? How are you going right. to learn and challenge yourself? Like I can go on, but all of that should also be in your vision, not just your revenue. Yeah. Cause you know? all, all those things also affect your business. Like I mean, you know, how much self-care you have, like you're going to have the energy and stuff to perform in your business. You're talking about vacations. Those are ways to, you know, regain yourself. And then also like a monetary standpoint, like, okay, if we're focusing in all on the business, 
then refold all our profits back in. But if we also want to have vacations or whatever, oh, we got to take a little bit and put it over here in that fund. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I'm sure you and your listeners have heard this before, but we, we all drastically underestimate what we can accomplish in the next 10 years. And mm-hmm. we overestimate what we can do in the next few months or the next one year. So I think that's another reason why this visioning kind of exercises can be really valuable because it forces you to kind of stretch yourself and challenge yourself to dream a little bigger uh, in the long term. Um, and I think it's also fun for me, at least I know this from my experience coaching and my, for me personally, that when it comes to humans changing their behavior, we're more likely to make a change based on growing into something than mm. running away from something, right? So, so often, you know, I hear people saying, okay, well, I can tell you all the things I don't like about my life right now, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. We all have that list. Right? Yeah. Um, and that list is going to continue to be that list unless you do something else. <laughs> so the other thing you want to do is make another list of what you do want your life to look like. You need to write mm-hmm. the opposite down and create a little vision for what would it look like in the next year or so if you did get some of those things you do want your life to look like. And living into that vision is just such a more positive way to make behavior change for ourselves than it is like we're running away from something. Absolutely. So you've gone through quite a few chapters in your life um, as we spoke before what does the next chapter look like for you and how do you go about that process of reinvention for yourself? Yeah. So the next chapter, I would say this, that um, I am not a huge risk taker, um, which might sound funny because people would you know, think that a lot of what I've done has been very risky, but for me, not so much. And for a lot of people who are like, you know, serial entrepreneurs who are constantly, you know, building and buying and selling businesses, yeah. my life is a walk in the park <laughs> in terms of risk. And so I would say the next chapter of my life is is kind of iterative, right? In that I'm not looking to make any huge changes. If anything, we're continuing to grow Mark Fisher Fitness. We want to open like another third location in New York City probably in the next year or two. Uh, We're really investing heavily in growing our online presence for Mark Fisher Fitness. Um, And we've already started playing around with some services and products that are available around the world, uh, which are going well. And then Business for Unicorns is the one actually, as we're recording this now tomorrow, Mark and I have a big strategic planning meeting <laughs> for Business for Unicorns to figure out what is the next chapter for Business for Unicorns. But mm-hmm. I can tell you, we're going to keep offering courses, which are available on our website right now. Um, and I want to just keep coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders. It's, it's the, my favorite thing to do. If I could do that all day, every day, I would. And that's mostly what my life looks like right now. So I want to keep that up <laughs> and yeah. find a way to kind of maximize my capacity there. And then on a personal level, my husband and I are uh, slowly working through the adoption process to try and start a family. So mm-hmm. that's on the horizon. Uh, I also you know, want to buy a house outside of New York City to get out of the city once in a while. So that's on the horizon. Um, and so, yeah, I think the next chapter for me is just an iterative one, just continue to kind of reimagine uh, um, the, the projects I already have on my plate. I don't know if I'm doing anything um, brand new. I don't think there's anything, you know, we're pulling, um, pulling out of our magic hat in the next year or so. Uh, with one exception, which I, I can't talk about yet. But there's one thing that could be on the horizon for business unicorns that would be brand new. Um, and the, the I'm being ominous, but the the I'll say this, that one of the courses we've done the most, gotten the best feedback from was a course we do called Coaching Conversations, mm. which is how people have more confident conversations when the stakes are high and the emotions are high. And I take some of my experience from going to a, a life school and teach some core communication skills, listening, acknowledging, validating, open-ended questions, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so we're hoping, we're thinking about making something based on that content. 
that we would grow and make available to a wider audience. So that's one kind of big project that's maybe on the horizon for us. And that's right in my wheelhouse. That's the kind of stuff I love working yeah. on the most. But other than that, the next chapter for me, I think is an iterative one. We're just going to kind of keep doing more of what's already kind of on the plate. Mm, yeah. Don't, don't fix what's not broken. Yeah. It's, it's going well. And you know, there's nothing, there's nothing I really want to do that's not already happening in some way. You know, and that's right now. I don't know, ask me again in six months, I might change our mind. But in the moment, <laughs> you know, I don't see anything coming down the pike that's like, oh, yeah, we're totally going to overhaul this or start this brand new thing. I think two businesses right now um, uh, is enough. Um, and we're going to stay the course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, where can people find you? You know, Business for Unicorns, Mark Fisher Fitness. Yeah, so you can visit us at markfisherfitness.com. You can uh, learn more about our online products there, as well as visit us in New York City. If you're in the city, swing by. We'd love to see you. Uh, and depending on when this podcast comes out, you can see on our homepage, we're going to have some special offers going on because there's always something fun happening. Or just an event. Uh, yeah. Follow us on Instagram where we, we post all of our parties uh, and all of our community events. Uh, so if you want to just come hang out with us, that's also fun. We're, we're a fun, rowdy group. Uh, yeah. you know, do look at our Instagram because you get a little sense of our culture and our community at Mark Fisher Fitness there. Um, and then for Business for Unicorns, yeah, just businessforunicorns.com. We post all our calendar for all of our courses. Right now it's posted all the way through the end of 2019. And we have some great courses coming up. Most of them are live in person here in New York, one day or two day courses. Um, we also do some online stuff as well. And we are um, doing some courses and some speaking gigs in other cities, but it's all going to be posted on the website there. Uh, and also follow us mostly on Instagram these days for Business for Unicorns, just at Business for Unicorns. Um, I think the last thing um, since we're podcasting is we also have a podcast called the Business for Unicorns podcast, where I do very similar interviews to what Brandon's doing here of other um, entrepreneurs and business leaders. So um, stop on by if you like this content, come get some more. Awesome. So my very last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? Oh, question. Can you say a little more about what, what you mean by evolve? Yeah. So um, the basis of the show is that uh, I believe the world, um, the evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. And that in order to make that change, like we have to start with ourselves. And so how do we cultivate that in ourselves and then bring that whatever we want to change, that vision that we have um, to the world? Yeah, I could say a million. I love this question. I could say a million one things. I'm going to force myself to just say the first thing that came to my mind, even though Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to say 10 things. I think the best thing we can all do as business leaders or not, just as individuals, is get better at having good conversations with people you would disagree with. Mm. That's it. I think so often, um, you know, and this is true politically, it's true culturally, (laughs) it's true in many organizations, that often uh, progress is not achievable because we're unwilling to have difficult conversations with people we disagree with. Um, And not that everything needs to be kumbaya, there never needs to be disagreement. I think we need to lean into that disagreement with compassion, (laughs) maybe sometimes empathy, and with some real communication skills to allow us to navigate those conversations in an authentic way, but also in a productive way so that we can hear each other come to some consensus and and move forward. Uh, But I think all too often, we just avoid the conversations altogether. So people aren't aren't even ever talking to people they disagree with (laughs) because we're just (laughs) avoiding them altogether. And, you know, the perfect example is like family. You know, I know plenty of people, plenty of super liberals here in New York who go home to their families elsewhere and just know that these 10 topics are just 
not on the table. We just don't talk about these things. Mm. Which I think is just a real missed opportunity. Not that I think everyone should go home for Thanksgiving and <laughs> open up politics, right? But I think there's somewhere in between there where we do talk to people we disagree with in a way that um, uh, we stay curious. I think that's probably the, the one key to the conversation that I think most people need to get better at is just learning how to be genuinely curious about something that you disagree with. Yeah, and I think it uh, it helps those relationships to to thrive. Um, you know, you might actually make a new friend even though that you disagreed with them in the beginning because if you actually start questioning, if you actually start listening, um, you know, with your ears, you close your mouth, you listen to them, uh, you might actually start to understand where they're coming from and it could transform the way that you see the world. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on the show. This has been a great chat and it's always great to chat with you. This was a blast. Thank you so much, Brandon. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.